Hello, and welcome to The Partisan Divide, which is no longer much of a divide. My name is Grant Beanblossom. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Gibbons. This is um, a little recap of the election, um, something that's been going on since Tuesday. You might have heard of it. Um, just to kind of state where we're at here at the time of recording, it looks like President Trump is going to lose. Um, not even looks like he's going to lose. It's just a matter of when, not if. Um, this, is, of course, is pending any legal battles, um, which I don't really think there's much point in talking about because we don't know how it's going to play out. Um, in Pennsylvania, Trump is up about uh, 50,000 votes at the time of recording, but everything left is Biden areas, so Biden should win there pretty comfortably. Most people are saying about 2% is what he'll win by. Georgia is very close, about 2,500 votes. Um, all the votes remaining are in Democratic areas, so we can probably safely say that he'll win there. Arizona, which Fox has called, um, Biden's up by about 1.6%. Um, it looks pretty safe for him there. We don't know for sure. North Carolina, we're not going to know for a while. Um, they're not going to start counting votes again until early next week. Um, so don't know there. Looks safe, Trump, but a lot of the outstanding votes are going to be pretty liberal. Um, and then Nevada also looks pretty safe for Biden. Um, so that will add up to well over 270 for Biden, which would give him the lead. Um, this, about 306. Yeah, so that would give him a, put him at 306 if all of that holds. Um, the Senate, it looks like we are going to come down to a double runoff in Georgia, which will decide um, the outcome of the election or of the Senate majority. Um, really, no matter how the rest of the races shake out, unless by some miracle Cal Cunningham and Al Gross were to come back and win, um, the double the double runoff will decide it. And then in the House, the Democrats are going to retain control. It's going to be a small margin, um, but they will retain control. Um, so with that being said, there's your recap. Um, I'm going to flip it over to Michael. Michael, do you have any overarching thoughts? So I think this is, you know, almost worse than 2016, because although the outcome was essentially favoring Democrats, this was really a, a kick to the kick to the nuts, if you will. Uh, it seemed that the Senate was going to, there was about a 70% chance of putting the Senate. The House was supposed to expand the majority. We were looking at like a blue Texas, like like two or three weeks ago. And uh, it appears the suburban shift extends to Trump, but uh, doesn't extend down ballot and vice versa the white working class didn't completely abandon Donald Trump. So the Democrats kind of, I think, despite winning, kind of got the best of, or sorry, the worst of both worlds here um, in terms of demographic shifts and the ability to really, really put the mostly shot into Trumpism. And that's going to, that's going to sting for a while. Yeah, it's not a mandate election, which I think a lot of people were looking for. Um, I know Nancy Pelosi today on a caucus call said it's a mandate, but this is far from mandate. Um, they're going to really struggle to get stuff done if these results hold like they're looking, um, especially in the Senate, obviously, with Mitch McConnell. Um, one thing that I did want to talk about um, with this minority shift or this demographic shift that we talked about, um, in 2012, after Romney lost, the Republicans did an autopsy of what they did wrong, how they were going to correct themselves. And the overwhelming narrative about that was we have to reach out to Hispanics. We have to get the Hispanic vote. Fast forward to 2016, Donald Trump is the nominee and everyone says, wow, they really botched that um, 
he's not going to get the Hispanic vote at all. You talked about a wall and all this stuff. And then we look at 2020 and by and large, the Hispanics um, is what won Trump Florida. It is what kept up a lot of the gaps in Texas. Um, there were some heavy Hispanic counties in Texas that went Hillary overwhelmingly in 2016. And those gaps were shot down by in some places, 40 points this year. Um, so I think that is something that is very troubling if you're a Democrat. Um, and I don't know, I don't really know the way forward for the Democrats in that. I mean, I don't think voter outreach changes some county results by 40 points. Um, so that is kind of how I look at this. Um, you know, pretty tough um, to take away. I mean, if you look at and exit polls, we can't totally trust, but the only uh, demographic that Biden improved upon was between was white men. That's the only demographic that Biden did better than Hillary did. Um, and that is extremely, extremely uh, discomforting, but white men and black men, sorry. So not a good outcome at all if you're the Democrats. Um, so with that being said, that's kind of our opening thoughts on this. Um, we'll dive into some more, um, more focused discussions here. Um, first off, I guess we know about Florida. Um, everyone knew Florida was going to be weird. It's weird every year. Um, so Michael, kind of what was your thoughts on Florida as the night kind of progressed? Um, and what did that shift your feeling of the race? I think my opening thoughts are that the New York Times should ban their stupid needle. Um, although it generally actually worked very well in 2016 and was correct in Florida. It appears to be wrong in Georgia, or at least sparked an unmistakable panic. Um, and North Carolina, I guess we don't know. They pulled the needle. We still don't really know why. Apparently, they were thinking that it's due to like the inability of new data to be entered in at a, an efficient rate, so the needle would always be off. doesn't really matter. But the point is that when the race opened in Florida was essentially done, and you saw the Miami-Dade numbers, which were Biden plus nine when Hillary won it by 33, the, uh, the panic, I think, among Democrats became very, very clear. And the reason is, is like, if you don't win Hispanics in Florida, you're probably not winning Hispanics generally, which would cost you, you know, uh, Texas, Arizona, maybe Nevada, et cetera. But it seemed that like the Hispanic thing was, although they did shift rightward generally, it seemed to really be a Cuban thing, which there are a lot of Cubans in Florida. So once we got Florida numbers and we saw the Georgia and North Carolina numbers, it started to feel like the polling error, again, could have been so massive that Trump could have taken him with a simple map of, you know, maybe he wins Arizona this time and then wins, who knows, you know, because, I mean, we were looking at, I think, Florida plus three or four, and he lost Florida by, do we have, like, do we know what he lost Florida by? Um, about three points, so. Yeah, so that's like a six-point shift, which would have been, if you were doing, like, the math, would have put Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin into play. Right, and I, I think... One thing is there was a lot of early panic there. Um, and yeah. some of that is due to that Hispanic vote. I mean, the weird thing is that Trump or Biden actually performed very well in Florida outside of Miami-Dade County, which obviously Miami-Dade County was 
Miami-Dade County was essential to him winning the state, which obviously he didn't win. Um, but really, when you were looking at it county by county, as the results were coming in, you were like, yeah. this looks pretty solid for Biden. I think one thing um, early on uh, in the night on Tuesday, you kind of realized who, like, if you looked at the map going into this, the map for Trump was so, so, so difficult. And so a lot of people um, that might not, might not have investigated that sees Florida going and knows generally that Florida is a massive state. And of course, it's still an important state, but knows that Florida is a massive state and started to panic when still, even with Florida, even with Texas, even with what looked pretty safe in Georgia, even with North Carolina looking pretty safe, the map was still really, really tough for Trump to win. And so I think a lot of that panic, I spent most of my night on Tuesday playing therapist to people because I think people just were shocked. Um, and I mean, I think all of us were shocked, but still, even with that shock, the thing about this year is that the polling looked so strong for Biden that it took a massive, massive, massive polling error for Biden to lose this election. And I think we're seeing that now. I mean, Trump really couldn't make any mistakes and he didn't make a ton, to be honest. I mean, he kind of did about as well as he could and still it's not going to come up enough for him. So I think that was, there was a lot of panic. I don't know how much of it. I think you and me were kind of all night, like, this is fine. Stay calm. I know I was tweeting out a lot of, this is, this is fine. He can lose this state. It's fine. Biden still is in good shape. Um, and so as yeah, my, my panic was going to set in once Trump filed something to stop the count in Pennsylvania and it got right. traction, which never quite happened. Although yeah. he's yelling fraud and all that, but you know, le like legally he hasn't really been doing much. And in fact, the only litigation it seems that he's done, you know, weren't really targeted to win the election. It seems to just be targeted to cause people to doubt the outcome. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I mean, for example, in Michigan, you know, he's filing to stop the count in Michigan or filing his lawsuits that will affect like, 2,000 votes and it's like that's not going to change Michigan but it's going to change how people view Michigan which will therefore yeah. change how people view even sillier was he's filed the lawsuit on 53 votes in Georgia right like yeah. so that doesn't do anything but yeah. like I, the message is very clear yeah and I mean I, people are running with it um, I don't really want to give them any time because these theories don't deserve any time but um, people are running with it so good for him yeah. I mean he went on a press conference tonight and basically still ran with that claim so it's going to happen um, we kind of hit a little bit on, um, the minority groups and how those demographics changed. Um, I do think this plays in, in the future. And obviously we're talking about this election, so not a huge deal right now, but I do think this changes how we view Texas. You know, Beto made massive strides in Texas. Um, he really closed that gap. He lost by, um, 3% in Texas. And as of right now, it looks like Trump is up by about six. I mean, that's pretty massive, especially when polling was telling us that Biden was even starting to maybe pull ahead or at least draw even there. Um, and so I think going forward, this Hispanic vote is the most important thing to pull from this night and especially how it relates to Texas and Florida. So I, I think I disagree with you there a little bit. The, the takeaway of Texas wasn't that like, so better strength in Texas was purely suburban. He underperformed Hispanics considerably. So I think that the, the takeaway there is that like, in order to win Texas, you need to have, you, the Democrats got stuck in this weird thing where the suburban shifted, but not shift, they, it didn't shift enough. And the Hispanics shifted before the suburbans really caught up. 
And I think that's where you're going to see the, the, the real distinction here is, are the Democrats going to have to sacrifice one group or the other to essentially win? Like, are, are they going to have to choose between one or the other group? And if they do, yeah, Texas is probably off the table. But I, I wonder almost if this is like, if not an aberration in terms of the Hispanics or an aberration in terms of the suburbans, then Texas is still kind of in play. But the thing is that I, I think yeah. we saw them kind of choosing groups. I mean, Biden's camp talked in May about how Hispanics weren't their were in their path to victory. So I mean, they were kind of choosing groups to begin with. Um, I don't know. I, you're right about the suburban shift. Um, we'll see how that moves going forward. But I think I mean we talked about people talked about how the demographics is what was going to shift floor, Texas, and I don't know if that's going to be the case necessarily. Um, I think instead yeah. you might see it through just a general suburban shift, but that is a lot less predictable, generally speaking, than yeah. demographics expanding and you getting a considerable chunk of that demographic. Um, well, so that makes so it the, less stable, I think, that Texas shift. Right. Well, so the interesting thing about, like, there's two things here. The interesting thing about, like, the Latino vote generally is there's two camps. It's not like they, – they clearly are a monolith. There's the I would like socialism Bernie camp, which you saw in the primary, and then you would want the I hate socialism so much that I would never vote for a Democrat camp. And what you had a weird thing, we had a weird thing where like the socialist Hispanics knew that Biden was not a socialist, but the non-socialist Hispanics were sold. Biden was like a socialist. So like you had, he kind of got caught in this weird trap where he had to, he wanted both, but got none. I think the other thing too with that, and that's definitely correct, um, is Hispanics tend to be a little bit more socially conservative than yeah. a lot of other minority groups. And I do think that social conservatism almost is having a comeback, maybe social conservatives are having a moment. But if you look at, I mean, Oklahoma and Florida passed ballot measures that were extremely, extremely progressive um, about minimum wage and but those states still went overwhelmingly Trump. And so I think a large part in that is a lot of social conservatism. I don't know if the defund the police thing that was going on earlier this year, I don't know how that played. It doesn't look like it played very well. Um, I think even the thought of Biden packing the court probably didn't play super great for um, Democrats down ballot, even though it doesn't, I don't, I don't see Biden wanting to do that. But I mean, the court is what, Republicans have mobilized on for years. And if that is not, um, that doesn't vibe with a lot of these voters. And so I think we saw a little bit of that social conservatism swinging some of those minority groups. Um, so I think that's something to think about going forward. Um, I'm not sure, you don't want to abandon your social liberalism as the party, but it is something to consider when you're thinking about these groups um, going forward. So speaking of down ballot stuff, um, I guess we can, we should talk a little bit about the Trump down ballot effect on House and Senate races, um, especially considering 2018 was such a good year for Democrats electorally. Trump was on the ballot and you saw Democrats making huge gains. And of course you have midterm effects there, but this year they didn't really run a drastically different um, ideology wise. Like they weren't far left of where they were in 2018. They weren't far right of where they were in 2018. They kind of ran it back with their 2018 map for in terms of the house. 
and it just did not work. And I think we're seeing, I mean, you look at state legislatures, the Dems had, had hopes of flipping like three or four state legislatures and that did not happen. In fact, I think the Republicans flipped one. So I think there's a real Trump down ballot impact. And I wonder if that sticks going forward. Um, so do you have kind of any thoughts on that down ballot impact at all? Or is it just tough to say, which that could be the case? I think that the, the issue that you had here was like the suburban voters were clearly pissed after with Donald Trump. And when you have Donald Trump on top of the ballot, it's easy to vote against Donald Trump because you can vote against him. And he didn't have that in 2018. So you had suburban voters taking their anger out on Donald Trump by voting for Democrats down ballot. And that just wasn't going to happen. Like that just wasn't an option this time. And I think that they, I think you also had a weird thing where like, they realized that Trump wasn't going to win. Like you had a weird like Hillary effect where they knew that Trump wasn't going to win. So they like essentially voted for, a, they split their tickets and voted Republican to give Biden a check. Now, do we know this? No, but this could also be kind of a weird effect of the election and a weird effect of even polling when it's like, when it looks like that much of a blowout. Yeah. Right. And I, I think the thing is that I wonder how many, I mean, if, Let's say there's 5% of Republicans that didn't vote for Trump instead of voted for Biden, but then they voted a Republican down ballot. That would be enough to explain why Trump underperformed down ballot races so much. And so I think that's definitely the case where they can take their anger out on Donald Trump when he's on top of the ticket. But if not, they have to take their anger out down ballot. Um, yeah. I, I do wonder if this is going to impact things going forward. Um, we're going to talk about the Georgia runoff later. I wonder if that race is going to be tougher for the Republicans because Trump is not at the top of the ticket there. Um, I think that's a real, there's a real chance of that happening. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's tough to really project a lot of stuff like that. Um, but definitely something to kind of take into consideration. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about was the turnout effect. I mean, I don't know if the Democrats can turn out better than they did in 2020. Like if you have a race with, I don't know. I and mean, Chris Murphy's not going to be the nominee, but let's say it's Chris Murphy versus Mike Pence in 2020. You think people are going to turn out for that like they did for a Biden versus Trump race? Like it's just not going to happen. So, so yeah, I, but I think here's the thing. I think that it's just becoming painfully obvious that the whole argument of higher turnout necessarily benefits the Democrats is just not a thing. Like very clearly. And this was the highest turnout we've ever had. And although the Democrats did win, it wasn't the win that we thought you would right. get with these numbers. So I think there maybe there's a weird thing where like low turnout definitely hurts, you know, hurts Republicans or, Democrat, or Democrats, but high turnout doesn't necessarily mean that Democrats would win. And there's just a weird middle ground where Democrats really want turnout to be, but it's not too high, not too low. I do think there's some diminishing returns there. Um, but I, part of me just wonders, you know, I mean, we're not going to see, I mean, this was the highest minority turnout we're ever going to see, or this is, I mean, this beat Obama levels in 2008. And that is insane. Um, I don't think they beat the black turnout in 2008. But across all minorities, I'm pretty sure it will be the 2008 Obama levels. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, the thing is that who is more reliable to turn out Republicans or Democrats? The answer is Republicans. And so this is, I don't know. Like this is maybe speaking. like my hot take is that like if the suburban shift holds, then you're going to have a D bias in the midterms and turnout. 
because college educated voters are more likely to turn out. Now, if that, that, that assumes a lot and that, that you could end up having a weird effect. Still where, happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just, historically speaking, we can trust Republicans to turn out at a much yeah. higher margin just in general. Republicans are also much better at this just in general, about at the whole election thing in general, to be honest. Um, and so, you know, Trump got a lot of, even though he was extremely unpopular share, lowest approval rating really amongst the president we've ever seen and consistently. And yet they still turned out so far, 70 million people have voted for the president or for the, for the current president. Um, this is, so, might just be like the era of like polarization at this point. But like, if you can keep even a fraction of those new voters, it becomes really hard for the Democrats to win elections on years where they don't have great turnout. It just does. Like that's just. No, a, I, yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I'm a, I'm also kind of agreeing. It's like, but my point more so is that like, our, we are so polarized as a nation that like, the turnout matters way more than the actual like. Uh, the actual like um partisan breakdown and i think that you can see that and i think it was the north carolina state auditor race where you had a established democrat who was essentially tied with the republican state or the republican candidate who wasn't running a serious campaign and had like stalking um stalking charges against him but like just because he had that r by his name people are going to pull that ballot yeah right i i'm shocked to I don't think if you if you had had a bingo sheet, I don't think anyone would have had North Carolina auditor race to be mentioned during this podcast. But yeah, I mean, yeah, just in general, like that is a lot. That that identification is a lot more important and a lot stronger than the D identification on the other side. And so I'm just, it'll just be interesting to see how this turnout effect is going forward. I mean, we're not going to know for four years. <laughs> maybe Trump's going to run it back in 2024 and run again, and maybe we won't know for another eight years. Um, but it's just it's very interesting um so i think the next thing we kind of wanted to hit on was state results um georgia is going to flip this is the first time georgia has flipped since 92 i think 92 um which isn't a terribly long time but i mean all things the the important thing is the margins post 92 yeah right i mean trump had really ran it up there recently um the margin is now down to 1,900 with around 16,000 votes left. Yeah, it's going to be – Biden's going to win this thing. Biden's going to win that state. Now, we don't know. I mean, we could get a, rec- a really weird recount thing um, where it might flip it back to Trump. But, you know, I think we – I want to – or at least I don't know if people want to give – Beto a lot of credit for Texas, but I think Beto deserves tex- deserves credit for bringing Texas closer. Now, obviously, they aren't this year, but I think Beto set up a lot of the infrastructure to make Texas closer than it had ever been. I think Stacey Abrams probably deserves that same credit, that same exact credit that Beto's going to be get for, for Texas. Even though Stacey Abrams didn't win, I mean, the same exact thing. You know, she had ridiculous Georgia turnout. She kind of expanded a lot of new coalitions and a lot of n- new voters to Georgia, and those voters are showing out. Um, in fact, no, also only lost because of like straight up voter fraud. But yeah, <laughs> Brian Kemp was on a serious power trip. So I mean, I'm not I'm not the biggest Stacey Abrams fan, um, but it is pretty impressive. Stacey Abrams is actually the only candidate that uh, Biden outperformed compared to 2018. The only Democrat candidate statewide that Biden outperformed compared to 2018. 
And that I don't think says a negative thing about Stacey Abrams as much as it says a positive thing about what she did to set up the infrastructure for that um, before that state. Because really, if you look at a lot of the other, like there are no other prominent, um, no other prominent statewide Democratic candidates in that state. I mean, you think John Ossoff is getting voters out to the polls? No, absolutely not. Um, I like so what she did really. They that state is kind of the state of Stacey Abrams, and it's impressive. Yeah. I just I think it's very very impressive. I don't I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts on that or if you disagree or. I think it is. Georgia is interesting because of like the minor differences between Georgia and North Carolina that caused Georgia to flip. Like Georgia very clearly had way higher, just a higher black, you know, uh, population. Like that's just it. Like, and the like suburbs did just enough. And uh, North Carolina, I think doesn't have, isn't at the same level yet. And that's going to be kind of the big thing that I yeah. think the takeaway is, is like people thought North Carolina and Georgia and Florida were going to go together. But then when you really look at the demographic populations, like this kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to see that the, the suburbs did just barely enough because I mean, this margin is going to be so small and that is with an absolutely massive Atlanta population um, that also, Atlanta turnout. Final thought on Georgia. Like I think that everybody should be semi excited well not should semi should be very excited that if biden wins you get uh old man jimmy carter <laughs> getting to see his state become democratic again he deserves this um he we, will, that. we will return to georgia later i want to end talking about the georgia runoffs because that's going to be fun election season's not even over really um but Moving on, let's talk about Arizona. Um, Arizona was a swing state a little bit in 2016. Not quite, but it was getting there. Um, I think you saw two very outspoken anti-Trump, anti-borderline Republican Party senators in Jeff Flake and John McCain who really started to flip the state. And I think you saw Cindy McCain doing a lot for Biden. Um, you had an incredibly strong Senate candidate in Mark Kelly, um, against an incredibly weak Senate candidate in Martha McSally, who apparently Matt Gates wants the Arizona GOP to run again in 2022, which I think I can speak for disaster. all the Republican Party and that that would be an absolute disaster. Um, this one actually isn't really going to be that close. Um, it's tightening a little bit, but, you know, I don't think, I think this is going to be about like a percent gap, which is pretty good. Um, that just matches the cinema numbers, right? Or cinnamon like won by like just under a percent. Yeah. I think people jumped the gun too early in calling Arizona <laughs> safe. So included. So that is interesting because and I don't think we would have had any way to know that. Um, because I don't think people predicted that the rest of the vote, especially the mail in vote, would be as Republican as it is. Um, which is the late mail in vote, yeah. The late mail in vote, yeah. But I I mean I think the reason that North Carolina hasn't been called is because of the late mail-in vote. Um, so that is interesting. I do think that it's having some effects as to why it is 9.50 on Thursday evening and we haven't seen a call yet because people are a little bit hesitant to make that same mistake. And also Fox can probably safely call Nevada. Um, they can probably safely call Pennsylvania and they haven't. And I think that is largely because they don't want to have called it and then Arizona 
end up being wrong. I don't think it's going to be wrong. AP's doubled down on it. Fox has doubled down on it. But it is interesting. Um, I think one thing to, to mention in Arizona is people thought – I saw a lot of people thinking, like, oh, man, Biden's getting killed amongst Hispanics like Arizona's done, which Arizona really isn't that state. They're a lot heavier white than I think a lot of people want to, like, people realize. Um, they kind of assume Southwest, high Hispanic numbers – that's just not really all that true, um, which is kind of why it's been such a strong Republican stronghold for a while. Um, so I don't think the Hispanic turnout isn't going to be a problem, isn't going to cause problems in Arizona like I think some people thought it would. Um, so yeah, so good for Arizona. I don't really know if there's a whole lot left there. I think Mark Kelly instantly becomes one of the coolest senators that we have, to be honest. Agree? The, that, the duo there is very cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure, and McSally's going to get to run it back in 2022 and maybe try and ruin that. But <laughs> uh, so Then we go to Ohio. Yeah, so Ohio moved way right of what we thought. I mean, right I don't now, know if it moved right right, but it, it just stayed at Hillary numbers. Well. Which I think that was surprising. Hillary win. I think she lost by nine. I didn't think. Let me look. Oh, but yeah. I think the more important she lost by eight, so pretty similar numbers. Yeah, yeah, the exact same numbers. But the more interesting thing is you had a weird blue shift in the middle, of, and they started counting um, mail-in votes. It was like, you know, Biden plus eight, and then that just collapsed. But the important thing of Ohio was not that Ohio meant anything. I mean, it did, of course, but not to the same extent. Because if you looked at those white voter numbers in Ohio, you could kind of apply them to Pennsylvania and see the likelihood of Joe Biden win. And I think once we got the Ohio numbers, Pennsylvania looked pretty good. Yeah. So the other, another interesting, another interesting thing about Ohio is the white working class voters in Ohio um, broke pretty hard for Trump, which is pretty interesting because that was basically Biden's whole strategy was to win back the white working class. That was kind of the appeal of him in the primaries, I think. And that's why, I mean, really, that was also kind of the appeal of Sanders in that Midwest um, over Hillary is the white working class. And Trump just performed really, really well there. Biden didn't cut into that advantage as much as he thought he did. I actually don't know if he cut into it at all. Um, yeah, I don't think I think that the, the white working class being Democrat is probably that was this was the final breath. I don't think there's anything walking this back. Yeah, well, and so that makes um, – I mean, that's why the gap in Wisconsin and the gap in Michigan is so tight. Um, yeah. Less so in Wisconsin than in Michigan. But Michigan a few years ago seemed like it was pretty solidly – it was going to be pretty solidly Democratic. And I don't know if we can safely say that right now. Um, so, I mean, it will depend on where the Republican Party shifts to um, or the lack doesn't shift to. Um, yeah. But I do think that that – that really is what decided Ohio. Um, so Trump wins there. I don't know how much we can take from that, but it is pretty interesting to see that those white working class numbers. Um, Florida, we kind of talked about. Um, really, it comes down to Cubans, Cubans, Cubans. Um, Miami-Dade being only plus nine Biden is really troubling for Democrats going forward, um, especially if, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but especially if the Democratic Party wants to move towards a anti-israel pro-palestine thing that would trouble them there um 
even though an interesting thing, an interesting take here is I do think Democrats have maybe wanted to move towards that anyways. And I don't think they have because of Florida. So now that they realize Florida might be gone, maybe they can shift that way. Like they maybe want to, um, kind of like Bernie was, I don't know about that. Just, just a thought. Um, I mean, if you really think about it, that is why that is a big reason as to why politicians are so outwardly pro-Israel is because Florida has such a highest Jewish turnout, highest Jewish percentage. I think the problem that we have is the federalization of down ballot races is, I think, death for like the Democratic majority in the Senate permanently. Yeah. Like you're not going to pick off like like if you look at the 2008 Senate map for the de- or de- Senate majority for the Dem- 2009 actually 2009 Democratic majority in the Senate you okay. see like you know Arkansas, see Alaska Arkansas South Dakota and North Dakota North Dakota I don't think that's ever going to happen again I think John Tester is probably done whenever he's up again uh, I can't I mean Joe Manchin's 100 percent done you see Doug Jones who although ran so I let me pull up the Doug Jones numbers the state went plus 26 Trump as of now yeah and Doug Jones ran ahead by five that's just not gonna I mean that's it like yeah and Doug Jones is about as good as you can do there to be honest right yeah no I think yeah Um, I do (laughs) I do wonder if it was an Alabama coach instead of an Auburn coach do you think the numbers shift I'm just saying. You probably would have lost more. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Now, if Nick Saban runs as a Democrat, which is my ultimate hypothetical, what happens? Um, I don't know. I think that it still gets federalized. Yeah, I I agree, but I don't know if you can federalize the love of Alabama football. Now, the better question is if Nick Saban runs as an independent that will caucus with the Democrats, although a minor distinction, he might have some room there. He might have someone there, yeah, because you don't have the Dnix in the name, so it doesn't hurt exactly. you as much. And yeah, that could be interesting. Um, okay, so since we've shifted a little bit to Senate races, Alabama's probably the least interesting one that we wanted to mention. Um, but good for Doug Jones, honestly. Bad for Doug Jones. Yeah, but I mean, if you really think about it, he re- he won a Senate race that he probably sh- shouldn't have won. I mean, he got lucky in the candidate being, you know, a pedophile. A pedophile, amongst other things. Um, <laughs> yeah, but really, I mean, he kind of became almost a de facto leading voice in the in the Democratic Party in the last two years, um, and so he's going to really parlay this into probably an attorney general spot, and that is really good for him. I mean, he did really well for himself. He ran a good campaign in 2018. I think he ran a noble campaign in 2020. He just there was no way of holding that seat no matter what happened. Um, so and I, I think the yeah, go ahead. I think a, attorney general spot for Eric Jones is a much better outcome than being the senator in the state of Alabama. Anyways. I, I disagree because it's, you know, worse for the Democrats, but I'll give you the, for him, yes. Yeah. Uh, then I guess the next batch of unfun races were, were uh, Kentucky and South Carolina. So, yeah. One so of them looked competitive. I want to talk about this. Did not. I want to talk about this. Um, I think we can credit Pod Save America with potentially losing the Senate for Democrats because on the night that RBG died, they raised like $20 million and gave it to Amy McGrath, which is just an unconscionable, terrible decision in terms of money, finances. I mean, 
she would never had a shot in this race. Um, at least in South Carolina, there were numbers that showed Jamie Harrison up. Um, so I can understand that one a little bit more. But they spent $200 million and lost those seats by like 20 apiece. I mean, it's just unconscionable to think to spend that much money on those races when you had legitimately flippable seats. And I, Democrats seem to have this thing where they want so badly to flip a certain seat. And so they'll go all in on flipping that seat. And they just have to be able to cut their losses more effectively. I mean, you had races in North Carolina and Montana that were legitimately winnable. And instead, they are so obsessed with getting Mitch McConnell out, which was just never going to happen. I mean, no matter I what think, they spent, Mitch McConnell was going to be able to outspend them. No matter what they yeah. did, Mitch McConnell was going to be able to outdo them. So I just – it doesn't make sense. I, I think this looks even worse now because we have two Senate seats in play that could probably use $20 million. Exactly, yeah. And I don't think they'll have a problem fundraising there. And I, I don't want to hate on Posse America too much because I'm sure they'll raise a lot more money for Georgia than anyone else. But it's just like – you could have done so much better for yourselves than what they did with Kentucky and South Carolina. I mean, those races were never in doubt. Um, yeah. I then really, I guess we move. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just, just going to wrap. I mean, it's a, it's probably the single stupidest decision of this election cycle. I can't think of a worse one. I mean, there was no Hillary go not spending any time in Wisconsin. There wasn't a decision like that. This was the, worst decision of this, of this election cycle in my opinion was how much time and effort the dnc and other dem- leading democrats spent on those races um yeah so so yeah so um go ahead you were going to pivot somewhere else yeah no I, I think lindsey graham the lindsey graham race um with the polling error the jamie harrison thing looks worse but at least it was competitive like there yeah. was polling wise um for amy mcgrath she ran on one poll that had her down one in like march yeah and, <laughs> and it was by like um, the public policy polling or whatever yeah it was which, awful. Is, which was historically extremely liberal so good for her that i mean she, grifter stay grifting you know maybe she'll run yeah, back I mean, but, but then Paul. you know you never know when you grift so hard that you become legitimate see john also yeah true true um so we'll get back to the the Georgia's tendency, but I think yep. the, in the no particular order, the, well, actually in a particular order of being the least interesting, uh, the Texas Senate seat. Never really interests me. What? Yeah, I mean, what an awful, well, we, so we kind of knew this going in, um, that the Democrats didn't really recruit as well as they thought they were. Yeah. And Texas and Iowa as well, being prime examples of this, you had Texas where better didn't want to get in. Um, maybe neither the Castro brothers wanted to do it. So Texas, and she lost, um, MJ Hagel lost by 10, and she was seen as, I think, incompetent. Yeah, I mean, she barely raised money. Yeah, uh, she at one point had $1.2 million for all of Texas. Which and that's is, a massive state. <laughs> when you compare it to Jamie Harrison, who had 88 or, 109, or $108, $109 million for all of South Carolina. Well, and you, you saw the roadmap, too, to winning Texas, and that was pretty much raise a ton of money by doing grassroots-level stuff. Beto yeah. is probably the best example of this. And I know you're not, you're not going to get another Beto unless Beto runs. I mean, even if you got the Castros, one of the two Castro brothers, like, they're not going to perform to Beto levels because I think Beto is – people give him a lot of crap for the presidential campaign, and fair enough. But, I mean, 
he is a once in a lifetime Senate can- Senate candidate in a state that is so far right, and they just didn't really get a good candidate. And I think they could have done better. Um, maybe no one running to run against John Cornyn. I mean, it seemed like a much tougher race to begin with, so yeah, that could be it. But yeah, I that race never really interests me. Um, yeah. So Iowa was probably marginally more interesting. Yeah. But even then, you had like Rob Sand, who is the state auditor, refused to run, and you get Greenfield, who is kind of generic, kind of boring. Yeah. And looked like she had a chance, and that was called pretty quickly for Ernst. And I think we talked about the federalization of down ballot races. I mean, in Senate seats, I think that is a good thing. And I think if you're a Democrat running in a red state, you need to federalize races like this. And you can't federalize a race with an MJ Hagar or a Greenfield. I mean, you just can't. You can't make them interesting to the outside person. I disagree. I don't know. I think the federalization is a bad thing in Iowa. I, or in, I, in those like red state races. I don't really, I don't really know if I agree because I mean, if you look at the federalization of the Texas race, that definitely helped Beto. I mean, we don't have a lot of examples of this, so like it's tough to really project. But I think in general, it is a good thing. And if you have a candidate that is as bad as Greenfield, like you're just not gonna be able to do it. Um, So Iowa is a state that you probably that they probably should have spent more money in. Um, I don't know if it would have made a difference, but that is probably one where those. where that money that went to Kentucky and South Carolina probably would have been better spent. So I think that like Iowa, I mean, I think it just kind of got, you know, screwed by being a a presidential race. Yeah. Like if Trump's going to win it by that much, like that Senate, like it's going to be very hard to get it. Well, and we didn't think that Trump was going to win it by that much. So, I mean, that's true. Yeah. So shout out Selzer for that poll. She did really well. Yeah. Um, Great poll. Um, Alaska is one that, we don't really technically know. It's not done. It looks done. Um, but as I've learned, and as Donald Trump has said, you cannot sleep on Al Gross. Um, so I'm going to remain not sleeping on Al Gross. Um, it looks like it's done. He doesn't think, Al Gross doesn't think it's done, which of course he's a candidate. He should say that. But um, no one has called it yet, which makes me think that maybe this is going to tighten a little bit. And So Republic- I don't know. I think the issue is the reason it hasn't been called is because none of the mail ballots have been counted and that's just because it's alaska and like it's going to take a week so i think i almost wonder if the first mail ballot batch of mail ballots comes in because i think gross would need to win like 60s upper 60s lower 70s to win yeah it'd be in the 70s yeah around three-fourths of the ballots so i do think though that that one is interesting because republicans spent money there which you would usually never have to spend money in an alaska senate race um, as a yeah. Republican. So that makes me think maybe there's a shot. I don't really see it, but Republicans spending money well, is fascinating to me. And maybe it's a bad political calculus, but they had to spend money to defend Dan Sullivan. So very interesting. And Dan Sullivan also came out with a statement right before the election saying essentially like, oh, sorry, an internal memo leak that was like, we might be in trouble, but yeah. we don't know. Yeah. And um, I mean, it might, it, I think there's a thing too, where it genuinely might be hard with the way Alaska is. It might be hard to really know how you stand in that state. Um, yeah. We'd never see many polls for Alaska for good reason. Um, so who knows? So then I guess we get to the three most disappointing Senate races, which would be in no particular order, Montana, North Carolina, Maine. Yeah. So um, Montana, 
I think I think that one is a lot of undecideds going for Danes because um, Bullock didn't really underperform his point numbers. He was pulling right around 44, 45, 46%. Um, but I think somehow that number that flipped and Danes got like 54%. Um, yeah. So I think that was something where a lot of undecideds just broke for Danes. And so I think that might be a state where just undecideds, there was a lot more undecideds than usual or the nationwide. And we see all them flip Republican. Um, yeah. Again, that's one should have spent more money there. Should have spent more time there. That was one that was doable for Democrats. And maybe, I mean, in retrospect, maybe it wasn't. I mean, that gap is decently large. Um, Danes is up 10. So maybe it wasn't that winnable, but pretty surprising um, result, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, the most shocking one, well, no, no, second most shocking one would be North Carolina. Yeah, we still don't Just know the, here. Yeah, we don't sure. technically know, but kind of a choke. Yeah. I mean, uh, by Democrats generally. And if so, if you are listening to this and you've gotten this far and you don't know about the North Carolina race, which I think getting to this point and not knowing what would be shocking, but if you're still listening, um, Cal Cunningham sent a series of texts to a woman that was not his wife um, that I would call light sexting, if sexting at all. <laughs> would you agree? It was vanilla at best. It was. It was, I want to kiss you so bad. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, it was like, I want to see you. <laughs> the best one was him saying, it was her asking what was on his to do list, and he said, you. Or he, him, saying, <laughs> him saying that he had everything done on his to do list except for her. That was, a, that was decent. Um, oh, okay, yeah. That was the best one. Um, but then Tom Tillis, there was some divorce violence that came out, I believe, that basically said that he was like literally like torturing his wife. And that just yeah. went completely like, untouched no one talked about it we thought that, that might maybe swing the race it did not at all it was from like 1996 to be fair yeah but i mean it's torture torture is torture in 1996 sure. to 2020 now i will say that one i'm not 100 percent is done because no one's wouldn't have called north carolina yet and it's tillis, because it's delayed a week yeah sure but tillis is running behind trump there um so there was a little bit of uh now, with that being said, I think Cunningham is actually still underperforming Biden, too. Yeah. So Tillis yeah. has got about a 1.8-point lead. I think that's going to stay. Um, but, yeah, that's another – that's a disappointing one. That was one that the Democrats did not spend that much money on either. Um, no. And, again, I mean, this is a theme, but just bad decision-making from Democrats to not spend much money there um, yeah. when that was winnable. So the, the biggest shock here was Maine, I think. Yeah, and – this one is interesting to me because Gideon spent $70 million. That's a fair amount of money for a state as small as Maine. So I don't think money was a problem here. Um, well, so he, the more interesting aspect of this is what she didn't spend. She had like $10 million just sitting in her campaign fund. Yeah. That just never spent it. Yeah. So she so, probably thought she had it. My theory on this is that um, if it was under 50%. It went to rank choice voting and she was keeping some money in for that. Now, why? I don't know. I don't know if that costs any money. I don't know if that's like a recount process. Um, but my thought is maybe she was saving money for that. But I think that one is, this is going to come back to that federalization of races. Suzanne Collins, I think is someone that is much more popular in her home state than she is nationally. People nationally hate Suzanne Collins. She's probably one of the least popular senators in the country. And I don't think that I mean, clearly that does not vibe with Maine. Because, I mean, she outperformed Biden, or she outperformed Trump by a ton there. Because, um, I mean, Biden lost that state. Or Trump lost that state by 10 points. And she's running 
seven points ahead of Trump. Like that's incredibly impressive. Um, and we thought that maybe the Amy Comey Barrett would swing that towards Gideon. We thought that them going and pushing forward on Amy Comey Barrett would hurt her chances. Clearly it didn't. Um, she's actually proved really resilient. She's had a lot of tough votes that have, people have said, oh, this is it. Susan Collins is going to lose. And she also would... a few bad debates. Yeah. And way may or may not matter, but like, right. you know, yeah. like she would think that if the race is that close. Yeah. Which, I mean, the thing is that the race wasn't close. Um, and right. wasn't a bad candidate either. It's not like they. No, she was like speaker of the state house. Yeah. So they had a good candidate. Um, they spent money. They did a lot of really what they could do. And I mean, Susan Collins is going to get almost the same amount of votes as she's running about 20, 30,000 votes behind Biden. Um, yeah. Biden won that state big. So just an impressive showing from her overall. Um, good for her, I guess. Um, so yeah, um, I wanted to mention Michigan, um, mainly because I want to give a shout out to John James. Um, he ran a really good campaign in a really- No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. I mean, he, there was a chance where we, there was a minute where we thought he was going to win that seat. And Gary yes, Pitt but pretty popular I, in Michigan. I don't and know about that. Biden is going to win by 2 or 3%, and that Senate race is close. Also, to be noted, he's not conceding because of election fraud. Um, so, you know, maybe that flips. Maybe we find out that the election fraud is legit. I don't think so. Michael doesn't think so either. I think most people wouldn't think so. Um, but I just want to give him a shout-out. I think his political career is done. He lost a high-profile Senate race in 2018 as well. Um, so he's kind of ran against – he could wait four years and run it back and run for Senate again, just run for Senate in perpetuity. Um, I, I think you can't rerun for Senate after you've lost twice. Yes. I think I could see him becoming a pretty prominent member of the Republican Party. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he ran two pretty good campaigns in a pretty tough state. Um, for I don't know. Are we sure about that? In two, the first one wasn't good. Yeah, but he, he also had a tear. He did he what? Did he get stomped in twenty eighteen? Yeah, but I mean, everyone, every Republican running got stomped in twenty eighteen, and he's in yeah, a yeah. Okay, fine. So I don't know. I could see him maybe throwing a race at, for governor. I don't know. Maybe he should run for house first. <laughs> but regardless, um, just want to give a little shout out to John James. Um, moving off from the Senate, we're going to get back to the Senate because we're going to spend some time talking about the sort of runoffs. Um, the House margin we thought was going to gain grow. Um, we thought By 10 maybe, to 15. Yeah, we maybe thought we were going to see 240 to 250 seats there. It's not. It's going to be really, really close. Um, by the last margin, if races hold, which that won't happen, but it was 221 to 214. Um, we are probably heading for the smallest margin the majority has had in this House since the New Deal, since FDR. That is pretty significant. Um, and I think there is a chance that Nancy Pelosi is in trouble. Michael, what do you think about that? I think she is a girl boss and will hold out. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I don't quite, I think that she's an institution that has more pull than people are going to give her. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries is a great alternative. I, I almost wonder if it'll be a 2016 thing where she's just able to clear the field other than like Tim Ryan or something. Well, so Tim Ryan's getting drawn out. So Tim yeah, Ryan, I, knew that. I think yeah, he's going to get an administration seat. Spot. No. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of like 
the consensus, but I was saying a Tim Ryan type character, like someone that won't actually change things. Um, yeah, no. So I, I think she'll probably hold out for one more cycle, but I, I think that if you get a situation in 2022 where Joe Biden, uh, the administration is stalled because of Mitch McConnell and Democrats are bleeding in support and they lose the house, or get close, even closer to losing the house, she might be on the way out. I mean, isn't she, isn't she, almost, isn't she 78? Yeah, I, well, I think they're, I think she might, I don't think she's not going to run, but I mean, she struggled to keep it in 2018. Not too much, but I mean, she had some pushback. Um, I think we yeah. could see a, when the Republican, when John Boehner resigned, um, people wanted Kevin McCarthy to run for speaker. He was not conservative enough for the Tea Party, which is hilarious in retrospect that he was not conservative enough for the Tea Party, um, which is how we got Speaker Paul Ryan. I think, and it was because the gap was small. This gap, if the progressives don't want Hillary or don't want Pelosi, the progressives can kind of force their way on this a little bit, um, or at least really force the issue. Now, with that being said, I think the most obvious two candidates would be Bustos and... Um, Hakeem Jeffries. I don't think he'll do Bustos because she almost lost her seat. Correct. That's what I was going to say. So you're really looking at Hakeem Jeffries as probably the most likely pick. And AOC funded a primary challenge against him. So I don't know if going from Pelosi to Hakeem Jeffries is what progressives would want. I actually think it'd probably be worse for them just because he's younger. He'd probably be able to hold that a little bit more. Um, but I think, I think Hakeem Jeffries is a really good candidate. Um, He'd be the first African-American speaker. That would obviously be significant. That would be cool. Um, so I, the margin's going to be tough. She's going to have to navigate it. She's really good at this. So, I mean, she's losing bait, touch with it a little bit, but she's, in general, really good at this stuff. So she could hold it. Um, and I think if any, for any other reason, I think she will hold it because of a lack of candidates against her. Yeah. yeah that's it? kind of what I – I wonder if it's almost not a, like it's a lack of candidates – what if like Tom Steyer gets it? <laughs> Age of Tom Steyer. Or not Tom a, Steyer. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember who I'm talking about. Steiny Hoyer? Yeah. That's a person, right? I'm not making, making that name up. <laughs> I'm not combining names here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, the margins, it's going to be really tough for Democrats to get stuff done. Um, and especially depending on the outcome of what is my favorite topic to talk about in this election cycle, which is the incoming Georgia runoffs, which will be January 5th. There will be two of them. It will entirely decide the fate of the United States Senate. It will be between John Ossoff and David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, who is my least favorite senator, I think, in the world. No. I think she is. Martha Black. Yeah, Marsha Black. No, no, no. Kelly Loeffler is much worse. And Raphael Warnock. Um... I would be shocked if these don't if these results don't just run together. I mean, I would be floored if there's like a if Warnock wins and Purdue wins, or if Austin I think wins. I I don't know about that. I could see there's someone being a a Warnock Leffler voter. Like I, I think well, it would be Warnock Purdue Leffler is underwater. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I meant yeah, Purdue Leffler. So the interesting thing is. Warnock only got 33%, which he underperformed Dems by a lot. Now, granted, there was like 30 people on that ballot. Yeah. But 
that's a little bit concerning, I think, if you're going forward. Um, I think if you added the numbers up, though, it was neither – I mean, it's not like Collins and Leffler got 50. No, they didn't. Um, Collins got – or Leffler got 26. Collins got 20. Um, yeah. Derek Grayson is the next strongest one. He got one. Um, so you're looking at – they got like 40. 47. 48, 47, 48, yeah. Which pretty and much there's right 45 Dems. Yeah. So I mean, which is pretty much right in line with the mat, the margin for the um, other Senate seat. Um, I just I don't see it. I I know Nate Silver has tweeted that he thinks that. Here's the thing: special elections are impossible to predict. Um, yeah. There's really no good trends we can take from them. Um, the only trend we have here is that John Ossoff lost the last special election in Georgia, but we in a state seat that he absolutely should have won. I think he's a better candidate than he was then, not for any reasons by, of his own doing, but I just think people like him a little bit more now, um, which might be because... Well, wasn't of, the whole thing that like he didn't live in his district in 2018 yeah. or 2017? What if we find out that he actually lives in like Tennessee, though? <laughs> be very on brand for him. Um, no, yeah, I, I think that the, the interesting thing is like the, the special election is going to be pre-inauguration. Yeah, it's going right? to be January 5th. So it's gonna be about so if, inauguration. So Biden could have fifty senators going into yeah into his first hundred days. He could Will have that happen? Probably not. He could have fifty one, I think, if Cunningham flips. Um, I mean, yeah. Ultimately, this ra- this race decides it. I don't really think there's any way. Maybe the Democrats or the Republicans can get to fifty without. Um, winning either of these. The problem is that it'll be 50 with a tie-breaking vote in Kamala Harris. Um, so that really won't matter. Um, this is probably going to be the most expensive Senate election in U.S. history. Is that, is that even close? Does that, wait, does that include the Kentucky race? The Kentucky race was about, I don't know how much McConnell spent. I'm assuming that McConnell probably spent as much as McSally did, maybe. Right. Hmm. So, I mean, this, that was a $200 million race. I could see this eclipsing that, which is crazy considering that we only have two months until it exactly two months from today, actually. So the interesting thing is, will this be a trying to flip voters or will this be entirely turnout? A GOTV I think a special election is entirely turnout. I agree. And I think it's probably, it actually probably disadvantages the Dems. Because I would imagine, I could be wrong, that like you kind of had a reverse off of, and like a reverse 2017 off of where you were like turning out those that level of people in that amount of time is probably exhausting. Yeah. And like if you voted, like I could see a scenario where like people just aren't willing to um, do like, is, like it. People aren't willing to do like you know canvas and you know, like do all the grassroots stuff or another whatever. Yeah, I think two months. I think one thing too is I could see a lot of people saying, you know what, Biden's the president. I'm going to vote for Republicans to have a check on Biden. I think that will be a really common thing. Um, I feel like at that point they just don't turn out. I don't think so. I mean, Republicans I think will turn out. Even especially never Trumpers are going to really turn out strongly because their whole thing is they want a Democrat. They don't want Trump, but they want to check on Trump. I think that turnout is going to be 
high on the Republican side. And I think this really is a tough race for Democrats. Now, Democrats can win this race, but it's going to be a really, really tough race for Democrats. Um, I also think we're going to see a flood of, uh, we're going to see a flood of out-of-state people coming in. So I don't know how that's going to affect things. Um, I already got some <laughs> texts from people that were saying, can I make, can I canvas for these people? Like, can I make calls? And my thing was like, no, you absolutely should not. They're going to get so many people from out of state doing this already. It's not going to help things. Um, I don't know if you have a take on that, but I think so, overall this is going to be a little bit insane. So the funniest part about this is technically that if you are a Georgia voter, they have same day registration and they don't have a registration wait time. Like, so you can move there right now and register to vote that's there. True. Yeah, that's true. So it would, it would honestly cost the Democrats less to move a hundred thousand voters from California to Georgia, put them in apartments and have them vote for Ossoff. Well, they should just move them out of like Alabama. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing California. Like, yeah, sure. But I'm just saying, take I'm, a bunch of like Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana voters and send them to Georgia and Tennessee. My, my thought was that, um, my only, my only line of thinking was that you can probably find a hundred thousand Democrats willing to move to Georgia a lot easier in California than you would. That's know. probably true. But I would think that you want them to remain, you know, culturally. Similar. Like the culture of Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama is probably closer than to Georgia than it is. Sure. Of course. Um, do you have any predictions for that? I, the cynic in me says 0 for 2 for the Democrats there. I, I think even the non-cynic in me thinks that it's going to go 0 for 2. Um, yeah, I man, think I want Loeffler to lose bad. The interesting thing, though, is Loeffler will have to redefend her seat in 2022. So it's, it's a terrible, and I think actually we, sh we should end with this. Um, it, states have botched this. There's a few states that have botched this so badly. And obviously we've seen all the memes about Nevada. But Georgia running a special election in the same cycle that they have a normal Senate election is a terrible idea. Do a special election. I think that's state law. If that's state law, it's a stupid law. I mean, it just doesn't make sense because we knew this was going to go this way. And those runoffs are disproportionately like powerful to any other race at this point. I, I disagree with your point on here. I don't think you can, I think it, it, if this would have had, like people would be really upset if you appointed Leffler uh, for like a six year term. You don't have to appoint her for a six year term. Just do the race. I mean, do the election in July. Then it, they, she doesn't get sworn in with the new Congress. That's fine. We do that all the time. We do special elections in like June all the time. And it's probably also like a cost thing. Because, like, the longer she's got a campaign and, and all that, it's expensive. Yeah, sure. Of course it's expensive. But, I mean, I think it's a lot more representative of what should happen if you do it that way. Um, also, apparently John James in Michigan is refusing to concede. Yeah. Which is just, of, like, Stacey Abrams part two. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the only voter fraud that ever happens is, like, caused by Republicans, but whatever. Yeah, I think we can talk about the voter fraud thing for a second. Where they're counting votes, they are they have equal number of Republicans, they have equal number of Democrats, they have equal number of independents. It would be extremely hard to fake an election. And it doesn't make sense 
that Democrats would fake an election but not improve themselves down ballot. Like that theory yeah. just is mind blowing. If you are going to rig an election, why not give yourself an extra couple extra Senate seats? Why not maintain give you, give you the House? 67 Senate seats? Yeah. I mean, if you want to rig an election, rig it all the way. So, A, if the Democrats are actually rigging an election, they did a terrible at it. But B, yeah. it's just, it doesn't make sense for this election to be rigged. Um, a lot of what people are seeing is misinformation. I mean, you're seeing videos that are clearly not legit of people saying, oh, I voted for my dead husband or whatever, and they're just feeding into it. You have a lot of Project Veritas people coming out in full force. Um, it's stupid. I mean, if you think that it's, if you think that this is fraudulent, work the polls in 2022. Realize that I this think process is a lot more legit and a lot harder to do than people think. And I think that the other line of attack or the other line of, I guess, argument that they make for voter fraud is that, oh, you know, my postal worker stole, stole my ballot. Like what the people don't get is like, these elections are decided by 10 election like votes they're decided by like 40,000 yeah. and like if you have the capacity to steal 40,000 votes you're not a single postal worker you're an institution oh and by the way who's in control of the institution that delivers votes oh the post office which is run by like the republican yes. administration with a republican appointed like postmaster general like if anything yeah. there was and if anything like the voters were suppressed for the democrats and i'm not even saying that happened. I'm just saying logically, if there was voter fraud, it would be by the person that controls the institution that controls the delivering of the mail. Right. And I mean, if, if you want to say, you know, oh, it's all these post postal workers, why can't there be postal workers that want to break this thing for Donald Trump? I mean, you have this going both ways. There is not just, it's not postal workers aren't heavily liberal, you know, that's not like a voting right. block. Um, also, like, it's a federal crime too. It, I mean, like their lives would be ruined if they got caught doing this. Their lives would be over. So right, and also like it doesn't make sense. You don't know what votes are stealing, right? Like, if yeah, you're a exactly. Republican or a Democrat, you could be stealing Republican or Democrat votes. Yes, which I, matter even more like on a local level. Like you, the idiots. Yeah, the no other, one would do that. The other thing too is people are mad because like you can't rush into Arizona and like get into like the poll booth to like watch the count votes. It's like no, obviously that's illegal. People in there are like authorized to be in there. Like it's well. Right. And so like the other like thing that like the Donald Trump campaign is down about was like, oh, they won't let us count ballot, like votes in Philadelphia. I and mean, then it turns out like it looks like the reason they weren't allowed to count votes is because like they wouldn't keep it under like the 30,000 people they wanted to admit. It was like a right. fire hazard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think there was that lawsuit filed um, and people like phrased it poorly when they said they're appealing the officials being in there. No, they were just appealing that. The, the only thing that the lawsuit said was like the distance away that these people could be. They weren't appealing that these people should be in there. And plus there are already other Republicans in there. Um, yeah. It's just, it doesn't make sense. It's sad that the president's yeah. doing this. It's sad that people are buying into it. There's really nothing more to say than that. Um, so. And is, is, a final ahead. election update is that looks like Nevada will be called pretty soon tonight. Yeah. Or, or tomorrow, because yeah. the remaining ballots are from Clark County and they look Democratic. Arizona, I think we're still we're unsure about that, but it's looking Democratic. Pennsylvania looks done for the Democrats, and Georgia also looks done. We're down to about five. I think I think we're, the gap is. It's about like I don't. 
I think it's about like a thousand or a thousand right now. It's a thousand votes with 7,000 votes out. And all of the votes are from, uh, I think it's Chatham, Cheatham County, whatever, which is Chatham. Is it Chatham? Yeah. With, uh, there's a, maybe it's not even Chatham. It was the big Democratic county that, like, it, it's probably over. It's going to be close and it's probably going to be a recount, but it's going to be over. Yeah. Yep. I mean, pending a recount, it's Joe Biden's one for uh, Georgia. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, I think, it hasn't been called, obviously, but I think we've kind of known that Joe Biden has had this election won pretty much since early Wednesday morning at the latest. Um, yeah. I think so, I knew he was going to win Georgia around 3 a.m. on election night. Yeah, and I think we knew – I think we could kind of figure this out um, going forward. I think, And I think a lot of people could also knew um, – I know there's still a lot of panic about, like, oh, it hasn't been called yet, but it looks, it, it looks safe. Um, pending some Bush v. Gore oh, lawsuit disaster. Um, and it seems like they have no intention of doing that. I, like, yeah. I'm, like, legitimately baffled with their legal strategy. Yeah. Like they didn't try to stop the count, which would have, you would think would have been what their goal would have been, especially like states like Pennsylvania. Like he couldn't have done it in Arizona because I think Joe Biden jumped out to an early lead, but like yeah. he didn't do it in, he didn't do it in, uh, he didn't do it in Georgia. Didn't do he it didn't in do it for Pennsylvania. And there he was another said, He's talked about stop counting, but he hasn't done it. And I, so no, I wonder, because he doesn't has no intention of doing so. He knows that there's no like wiggle. I don't know if it's that he doesn't know, but I think it's just that his lawyers are like, no, we can't do this. Right. Um, and, and then you have Republican lawyers. state officials jumping out saying like, there is no legal path, like to stop the like to yeah. alter our election. And I mean, you can't you can't push things, stop the votes here, but not in Arizona. Like you just can't right. do that. So. I wonder if this was like what Trump really needed if he wanted to do this was essentially, you know, Arizona broke his way early. And then essentially he wanted it, he needed it to come down to one state that wasn't done counting that he was going to lead in. Like that's how he would have stolen the election per se, yeah. would be like one state. But instead, what happened when he had like five states? And that's yeah. kind of the issue here. Yeah. So I honestly think there's a case, there's a, I, I don't know if courts will even take these cases, especially in Pennsylvania, if it doesn't come down to Pennsylvania. I just don't think you want yeah. to rule on that. Um, and there's really no reason to at that point. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So any last thoughts um, about a Joe Biden presidency? We might do another one of these depending on the Georgia runoffs, maybe. Um, stay tuned. Even though none of you guys will care about, a lot of people won't care about politics by that point. But um, any last thoughts, really? Uh, appears that Georgia is going to be Joe Biden's 2008 Indiana. Yeah. It's, yeah. We, I mean, it's really kind of surprising. Yeah. Yeah. He no is like, this is kind of interesting, but Joe Biden is quickly establishing his reputation. as like the comeback kid. He ran a legitimately great campaign and I don't think people are going to give him credit for it, but the amount of different options of, that he had to win this thing again, yeah. whenever he won Florida, I don't think people were panicking. Or I think people, people were panicking, but I don't think people that were like had knew, known the maps were panicking because he set himself up to win this thing 25 different ways. And Trump had to be perfect. Biden didn't. You can complain about Biden not reaching out to Hispanics. You can complain about this, this margin being smaller than what you wanted. But Biden did enough to win. He doubled down in Pennsylvania the last few weeks. He doubled down in Michigan. He doubled down in Wisconsin. 
He knew what he needed to do to win. And in doing that, he expanded in states that you never thought he was going to be able to flip. I mean, he did a genuinely great job. And that yeah. is in a tough election cycle to really do a great job of campaign, campaigning because of this COVID stuff. Um, so, so I think if we're going to do alternate reality, though, what, what if Joe Biden didn't visit Wisconsin moment if he loses? I don't know. I mean, maybe going to I know your I know your answer to this. And it's that he went to Texas in the last week instead of North Carolina. I'm starting to think not only that, but Florida, too. But yeah, he blew up the ad. So I think the North Carolina looks bad because it's not that North Carolina was like a gimme, but like Wisconsin is supposed to be. But I think that he spent time in Texas and he blew up the airways in Florida to like an, like an insane amount, but like didn't quite spend that same money in North Carolina. And I think that's probably the miss. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Also, um, Dems are outspent in Georgia. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's insane. And that almost makes me feel good about their chances in the runoff because I don't know, I, if they're outspent, it's not going to be by much in Georgia, especially considering um, Republicans kind of spent their well pretty dry. And I know Democrats had a lot more money on hand towards the end. So who knows? Um, also, one last alternative reality thing. If we don't have COVID and if the economy doesn't take a serious downturn, are we looking at another Trump presidency? I think there's a chance. I, so I think he's too old. Um, I think- No, 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 no. I mean, does he win this election? So this is like a genuinely interesting thought. And I think, I think my take on this is that actually COVID became so polarized yeah. that it didn't have, this is exactly the same race we were looking at pre-COVID is yeah. my burning hot take. So I do wonder, we know that COVID was one of the strongest like determining factors in who people voted for. And I think that that outcome is going to be a lot more for Trump than people think, especially among minorities. Because I think minorities, I think in general, people were worried about, I mean, people are worried about shutting down the economy again. A lot of people, especially minority groups, I think broke heavily for Trump in that metric, if that was their biggest determining factor. So wait, do you think that like the coronavirus actually helped Trump with minorities? No, I don't think so. Saying? I don't think so. I don't think any world leader right now wants to be running anytime soon. Because I just think it's too tough. Um, also, Biden's down under 40,000 votes in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. Also, but, I guess the last interesting point is the map going forward, which we kind of talked about already, but like the 2024 map is like not that great for Democrats, like generally. Yeah. Be because what you have is a Joe Biden map. I, there is no one in the Democratic Party that can repeat what Joe Biden just did. Unless you're going to run, I don't know, maybe Sherrod Brown, which, which I don't think he would need. He wouldn't do the Georgia numbers. If they run Sherrod Brown, I think they're punting on the election. Yeah. No, um, I don't think so. Hypothetically, let's say you run Kamala. Kamala has to choose between between trying to rebuild the blue wall for the fifteenth election cycle. It feels like I don't think she'll be able to do. That. And she cannot do it. No. Yeah. And then it's okay. She has to go for the essentially the Georgia, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, she would need to Texas maybe, yeah, she need to North Carolina, and then maybe trying to snipe Michigan or Wisconsin. Well, I think she'd have to put Florida back. Florida back. And for, yeah, sure. And I don't think that's ready to do that. Yeah. Like, especially after these uh, Latino vote uh, numbers came in this year. So I think the Democrats could actually be in quite a bind in 2024 
especially if legislative um, priorities are held up in the Senate. Yeah. Like I, well, the other thing too is they're going to be in trouble in the House and really the entirety of the 2020s because of their lack of ability to flip state legislatures. So also final, final point, the most, the worst part about this for the Democrats is um, they missed their chance at redistricting. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, state legislatures, they Republicans actually picked up one. And I mean, Republicans are so good at that stuff um, yeah. on a state, on like a local level, Republicans are so good at that stuff. Um, they always will be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think this House map is going to be easy in 2022. I don't think the Senate map, Senate map looks okay for them um, in 2022, so, but I just think yeah. they're in trouble. Um, I don't think we need to do a post-mortem on them because I don't think it's the worst case scenario, but it's not great. Hey, last clarification on Georgia. It wasn't Ch- uh, Chatham or whatever. It was Clayton. Okay. That is not in yet. There is 400. This is John Lewis's district. And oh, there nice. is, okay. yeah, 4,200 ballots out that will drop before midnight, which will likely put Joe Biden over the top in Georgia. Gotcha. So we might get a Georgia call, maybe? I don't think we'll get a call. We might get, actually, we might get, we might get a Pennsylvania and Georgia call tonight. Yeah. It's going to be another late night, I think. I think if we get a Georgia call, I think they'll call them simultaneously if they do. Because they don't, they're worried about Arizona. Yeah. Um, Prediction on who the first station to call it is. First state to call? First station. Like what new station gets it first? Uh, Are we, so for the presidency? Yeah. I think, so here's the calculation here is that, I think it's, it's going to be Fox or AP just because they already have the Arizona call out. I actually think that's going to make them less likely to do it. Yeah, um, but no one else has called Arizona. Right. But, I mean, if you can call – I mean, I think oh. CNN could call Pennsylvania right now, and it would be over. So – Oh, would they call Arizona – oh, you were saying which state or which network is the first call to call the presidency? Yes. Oh, and so what – under the – even with Arizona, he needs six, and then – but with Pennsylvania, it's done. Yeah. So it would just be like whoever has the Pennsylvania call first. Yeah, I think CNN's going to do it. Maybe maybe MSNBC. CNN was slow all election night, though. They're very conservative on this stuff, but I don't know. Interesting. So my, my bet is CNN. Gotcha. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening. Um, if you've made it this far, props to you. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so we might be back with the Georgia runoffs. Um, but thank you for listening. This has been the... Partisan divide, maybe partisan unit reunification. <laughs> um, I think we can call it that. So, so yeah. So um, thank you for listening.